Today is in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 3, if you'll turn with me there. The Acts of the Apostles, chapter 3. This is the words of Peter, the Apostle. I'll be starting in verse 19 and reading through 21. Acts of the Apostles 3, verse 19. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive, until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time that we have here to open your word and to be encouraged by it. We pray that you would use your servant Paul, our pastor, to open this text up to us. We pray that you would open our hearts before it, that we would be here to hear from you, that Paul would become less and you would become more, that you would speak through him, Lord, mightily and passionately, and that our hearts would be changed as we surrender before you and ask your will to be done in our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, For those of you that are unaware, uh, Steve alluded to it, but uh, the tree, obviously it fell down between the two sheds, clipped one of the sheds. But, um, yeah, I mean, an an hour later, cars park right there in that area um, with the people waiting to pick up their kids. So there would have been cars that were parked right where that tree fell. So there really is cause to be thankful to God for that, you know, because it could have been disastrous. And so who cares about a shed? You know, we're very grateful to God that um, that uh, nobody was hurt. <clears throat> We are back in our series on the oaths of God, and uh, I've gone to Acts chapter 23, Acts chapter 3, not 23, Acts chapter 3, um, because it uh, kind of brings together uh, some things that uh, we've already covered, and so we can kind of remind ourselves of some issues, and then it also uh, prods us forward into uh what we might call the church age. So uh, there are some things here which I think are interesting, which you may have read. If you've read the book of Acts, you may have had questions about this, so uh, hopefully I address some of those things, uh, as well as uh, the importance of God's plan, God's timetable. I'm going to say some remarks that might be a little bit... Um, trying, so you're going to have to put your thinking caps on, just for a short part of this, where I speak about uh, God's overall plan, his predetermined plan, but also the fact that God uh, allows or builds into his plan 
our decisions. Our decisions. And they are our decisions. It's not him doing, you know, making decisions for us and then making us responsible for what he's put in our heads. That's not the way God works. God gives us his word. He gives us his offer. And then we are responsible for accepting it or rejecting it. So the context here is that a lame man has been healed uh, by Peter. The guy wanted silver and gold, or at least uh, he wanted a few pennies. He didn't get any of that. What he got was a lot better than that. He got healed by Peter. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I to thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Uh, He wasn't expecting that. But uh, this became uh, something because this this man, as it says in verse 8, was walking and leaping and praising God, and he was making a bit of a uh, uh, noise there, celebrating. And all of the people around the temple saw him. So the authorities were called in. Of course, the authorities are called in. And uh, they didn't like what they saw. The very fact that this nobody had been healed by God uh, meant absolutely nothing to them apart from this was just a mess to clear up. And this, again, was uh, a nuisance to them because uh, it was in the name of Jesus that the man was healed. Well, they thought they'd got rid of Jesus. They thought that was all done. That was all settled. You know, maybe his disciples are just dispersed now and uh, that would be the end of it. Not a bit of it. Here's Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, who heals this individual. And Peter is ready to speak again about Christ. And he has a whole crowd, a whole multitude of people, because this is the time of year, Pentecost, when Jerusalem would be absolutely jam-packed with people. People from all over the Mediterranean world would come to the Jerusalem temple. The temple itself, by the way, although it wasn't reckoned one of the seven wonders of the world, that was a list that was compiled a lot earlier, still, in, uh, in that day, it was one of the chief tourist destinations, would you believe, in the ancient world. A lot of people, it's like, you know, going to see the Eiffel Tower, for example, yes, in France. I mean, everybody who goes to France, they want to go and see the Eiffel Tower. Um, they, uh, uh, they would go and see the temple because it was such a wondrous building, an amazing uh structure so it was very famous and at this time of year Jerusalem who's we don't know the actual population at the time some people think it was as high as around 60 70,000 maybe a little higher but perhaps 200,000 people would be present in Jerusalem at this time so getting a crowd wasn't a problem and Peter had a crowd which means that he had another chance to speak about Jesus Christ. Now, what happens in this, um, in this short speech is that Jesus 
uh, sorry, Peter, can you see in verse 19, tells the people, the Jewish hearers, to repent. And if they'll repent, then something called the times of restoration of all things will come to pass. So a huge change is just around the corner if they will just repent, if they will just believe this preaching about Jesus. Of course, that doesn't happen. And here we are, nearly 2,000 years later. But this, uh, this idea of the times of restoration, or the times of refreshing, as it's called in verse 19, is a reference to the covenanted kingdom that we've been looking at in this series. It's the kingdom that Jesus, when he was alive and uh, preaching on earth, that's the kingdom that he preached. The kingdom of God. The kingdom that will have no place for the corruption and wicked uh, politics of present-day men but will be a kingdom of righteousness, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of justice. That's the kingdom that Jesus preached, and this is the kingdom that's still being offered here in Acts chapter 3. So we must understand that Peter at this point is not saying that the if you repent and believe, you Jewish believers, that you will... Um, You will just be incorporated into the church. And the church will become the new Israel, just expanded with a bunch of Gentiles in it. He's not saying that. He's really offering a uh, a physical, a material change in Israel and, of course, through the the rest of the world if Israel will believe that Jesus is who he was, their king, their Messiah. Of course they didn't, they still refused to to accept that. So here's the notable miracle, and here's the angry response, and then here's Peter's opportunity. Repent, he says, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord from heaven. And that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before. Well, where is Jesus at this particular time when Peter is saying this? Where is Jesus? Jesus has already ascended to the right hand of the Father. Jesus is in heaven. He's no longer on earth. So what is Peter doing here? Has he got his theology all wrong? Has he got, is he just confused? Is he carried away by the circumstances? Or is he onto something here? Is there something important that Peter is declaring? Well, obviously being inspired, it's the latter. What this means is that there certainly seems to be an offer that's going out here 
for Jesus to come back in the first century. Well, how can that be? I mean, surely God knew and he planned for the church to uh, come into being, and of course it did come into being in the previous chapter. The church that is not a nation, the church that is not a just one people, as it were, one ethnicity, like the Jews. The church that is made up of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his death for their sins and his resurrection for their justification, from every walk of life, from every color of skin, every cultural background. That is what the church is. It's an organism, a spiritual organism of human beings who have received the righteousness of Christ and God's forgiveness. God had and has a plan for the church, and we're part of it right now. We are living in God's project right now. And so if you're saved and you've uh, trusted Jesus as your Savior and you're trusting him as your Lord and as your guide, don't think that you're just uh, like in, in a, an arbitrary uh, part of history with no meaning. You are in God's plan, his project right now. You're part of it. But if that's true, how can Jesus offer the return of Jesus Christ? Did I say Jesus? How can Peter offer the return of Jesus Christ in the first century? Is there a contradiction here? The Bible sometimes does this. Yes? The Bible sometimes uh, makes a statement and that statement seems to go against what we know to be true as far as our experience is concerned. For example, the Bible says that unless we, the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we're convicted of our sins and we choose to believe in Jesus as our Savior, we will not be saved. But it also talks about an election of people. Yes? Well, which is it? Has God elected people? And if he's elected to them, they're going to get saved, aren't they? So is it our decision or not? It's kind of one of those conundrums, one of those scenarios that we're dealing with here. So let me try to address that. This is where your thinking caps need to be on. Okay, Some of you already got caps on, so you have no excuse. Others, just put your metaphorical thinking caps on here, just for a second. God, because he's God, because he upholds all things in heaven and earth, without his power, if he was to withdraw his power from you, you would die. If he was to withdraw his upholding power from this cosmos, it would not exist. God's power upholds all things. 
Now, sure, he has put uh, reproductive power into nature, but still, upholding that power is God's ever-present providence. Don't think that plants reproduced just because they're plants. The power to reproduce comes from a system that God set up with the sun, with the rain, with the soil, with the creatures, the insects, by uh, pollination, and all of these different things that go on. This system that God has set up, and all of these things depend on God's upholding power to keep them going. If that's the extent of God's power, you obviously know that that's the extent of God's knowledge. In fact, God's knowledge goes beyond that. We're told in several places in Scripture that God tells uh, people what would happen if the situation was different. Jesus, for example, when he's talking about the cities where he preached and did these great works, and he pronounces a woe upon them. He says, you know, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Capernaum. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If Sodom and Gomorrah had have seen the miracles that you saw, they would have repented in dust and ashes. Was that Jesus just saying, is, is he just kind of using that as an illustration? I don't believe so. I think Jesus is saying, look, if the people of Sodom and Gomorrah had have seen Jesus' miracles and heard his talk, those wicked cities would have repented, just like Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. But, of course, they didn't. Why? Because Jesus wasn't there and he didn't do those miracles in Sodom and Gomorrah. But if he had have done, that's what would have happened. That's God's knowledge of something that didn't happen. But if it would have happened, God knows the result. Bring that down to your life. Bring that down to uh, your decisions. Take this pathway or that pathway. You know, this pathway is not a really very good pathway. But it, it's got shiny things on it. It's got nice things on it. Things that attract you. This pathway is a bit more hard work. It's righteous. It's good. It's wise. But it's not really very shiny. Well, God knows what would happen if you chose that path. But, of course, you choose this path. Or vice versa, do you see? God knows everything about that. And that's really a comforting thing, by the way. Because it means that wherever you are, whatever you do, God knows what's going to happen. And there's always time, therefore, and there's always a chance to repent and take the right path. We're here in this situation. Peter is offering Israel... The chance to repent, which means to turn from a, one belief, one understanding, one way of thinking, and change your mind and think in a different way. And therefore act differently as, on a basis of that. And if they would do that, then Jesus would be sent back. And the kingdom would be set up. That's a good deal. That's a great scenario. 
I mean, God is willing, they've just crucified Jesus, but God is willing to bring in the kingdoms with these people still. The ones that allowed Messiah to be crucified, he's still offering them salvation. He's still offering them glory. What does that tell you about God? It tells you that he is beyond merciful, beyond compassionate. That he heard the prayer of Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is your God. This is the God that is offered to you to believe in week in and week out from this pulpit. He is compassionate. He is loving. He is good. And he will forgive you. Well, obviously, he didn't forgive uh, these Jews because they didn't repent. They didn't believe. But if they would have done, Jesus would have returned 2,000 years ago. And we wouldn't be here. What this means is that God can make a plan because he knows what you're going to do. He knows precisely what you're going to do and everybody else. And he can make a plan that this is going to happen on the basis of your decisions, whether sinful or righteous, and yet still give you the opportunity of making the right decision even though he knows you're not going to make the right decision many times, yes? Your decision is your decision. It's your responsibility, and therefore it's your accountability before God. Nobody can say, well, God made me do it. God predestined me to do it, so I did it. That's not going to wash. Yes, God knew you were going to do it, And he planned the world in such a way that your sin had an an impact and an effect on things, but still he got his will done. What this tells us is that God is ready to bless us if we'll do the right thing even though he often knows that we won't do the right thing. And I wonder how many blessings we have missed out on. How many blessings God was ready to bestow when, oh, they've gone and done it again. I told them to do this, or they knew to do the right thing, and they let the flesh or they let the devil, or they let the world take them the wrong way, and they've missed out on a blessing, or they missed out on a reward in heaven because they refused to do what I told them to do. For first century Israel, what it meant is that they missed the kingdom. And in just 40 years' time on from this, 
the Romans would come in and would plow this temple down. And so we get into the times of the church, which we're in now, and we're going to be covering from uh, now on in our series. But before that, let's look at what was offered. Let's look at the way Peter describes it. Verse 19, he talks about times of refreshing. What do you think of when you think of refreshment? What do you think of when you you, uh, think of a a time of, uh, uh, of good change? Things that revive you. Things that make you feel alive again. Things that make you feel uh, clean and, and ready for life. This was offered to come down from heaven to earth. My, they would have been amazing times of refreshing, yes? The life of heaven on earth. The reality of uh, those loved ones who experienced that right now in heaven could have been experienced here on earth and will be experienced here on earth at some time. The times of refreshing. And then verse 21, the times of restoration of all things, all things. Because everything's got to change when God acts in this world and takes over the reins of this world in every single way. All things. He's not going to allow anything, any remnant of or any stain of man's uh, way of doing things to remain. Everything has to change because it's God now who's in control. It's God now who is asserting upon this earth, his will, his blessing. The restoration of all things. This is something that we can fully expect when Jesus returns. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 28, Jesus talks to the disciples before his uh, arrest and And he tells them about the fact that they will reign with him on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And he calls that time the regeneration. The regeneration. What that means is that this world and us and everything that enters the kingdom has to go through a regenerative phase. It has to be changed. It has to, um, it has to be, as it were, upgraded significantly if it's going to enter the kingdom. And this comes, I think, because he says all things here, this is not just the, uh, the structures, political and physical that man has made. 
I think this is the structures that God has made but have fallen. The animal kingdom, for example, the plant kingdom. All things are going to be restored. It is an extraordinary truth that God has a covenant program that he is still working on. He hasn't forgotten it. Just because Jesus died a long, long time ago, as far as we're concerned, doesn't mean that God's plan is not right on track. The last prayer in scripture is what? Can you tell me? The very last prayer in scripture. Even so, come Lord Jesus. God wants this tidied up. He wants the reign of man to come to a, a end, and it will come to a catastrophic end, actually. And he wants the reign of the man, the God-man, to begin. But there's been a long time between Peter's offer and between, obviously, the second coming that hasn't happened yet. And in that intervening period, we have the time of the church and we have the, tribu- the, the difficulties of the, ter- of the church. We have the persecution of the saints. We have the trials of the saints. The trials of your life. Why did this happen? Why did God allow that ha- to happen? Well, sometimes it's because you made the wrong decision. And you're accountable for that decision. And sometimes it's just because you're living in a fallen world. But what this text, I think, tells me, and I hope that, um, I hope that some of what I've said helps you to think this way, is that God has not taken his hands off the controls. God fully intends to bring about the restoration of all things. And that means the restoration of you. Emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, all of these things are going to be touched. All of these things are going to be blessed. All of these things are going to be upgraded, restored, refreshed. so that you can fully embrace and enjoy the kingdom that's to come. It was offered and it was turned down 2,000 years ago. But then the gospel went out to the rest of the world. And millions upon millions upon millions of people will inhabit the kingdom because God doesn't allow the sin of man to get in the way of his program. And that's where you come in. You're part of that program. Your salvation. And therefore your glorification is part of that program. I can't explain everything about God's creation project, but I can tell you that 
Everything is going according to plan. Yes, I know, it doesn't appear that way sometimes. But God is in control. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to uh, keep in mind that you know the end from the beginning. You are the Alpha and the Omega, and therefore you are fully aware of um, what you're doing and where this world's going and our part in that world. You're also fully aware of uh, our decisions either to believe you, trust you, obey you, or not. None of this thwarts your decision, but I wonder, Lord, how many times you are ready to bless us or reward us with something ahead in glory. And yet we make the wrong choice. We're irresponsible. I want us to be mindful, Lord, as we enter this year. Help me to be, help all of us to be mindful of the fact that you're watching over us. And even though you know what we're going to take, uh, what decision we're going to take, maybe sermons such as this, maybe reminders such as this will make us choose wisely and lead to rewards that otherwise we wouldn't have had. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen.